when I was younger and writing, those were my sister and my mom were always like the the two that I had in mind. Especially when I wrote the story about the kidney transplant, that was probably where I was able to coalesce these two different parts of my life. You know, my my married life to Patty, and then the relationship I've had with my mother and my sister kind of coalesced. Everybody kind of gelled in that moment. So I feel like one of the things that I really loved about the kidney transplant, as well as the process of writing about the kidney transplant was I wanted to tell people and I wanted to explain to people how that process brought us together as a family. And for me as a writer, it was such a joy to be able to write these two different parts of my life that have that have merged very in a, in a very real way, but to be able to write them and show them merging for a wider audience was was really incredible. But those three women, my mom, my sister, and, and my wife are probably the three, you know, when I'm writing a story, I'm like, how would they see this? Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have our good friend and fellow author, Jeff Smith, who's here to join us for another Writer's Roundtable. A few months ago, the three of us were just kind of hanging out and talking about writing, and we thought, you know what, perhaps we should make other people listen to our conversations. So in addition to talking with authors, we decided to have this sort of writer's roundtable and talk about the writing process with Jeff, things that thrill us as writers and things that stymie us and all those sorts of things. Today, we're going to reminisce a little bit and talk about how we came to see ourselves as writers. So welcome back to the podcast, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Steph. Thanks, Tony. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Tony Randall, a.k.a. Jeff Smith of the So What's Your Story podcast. I like to be Tony Randall. So we, we were starting to work our way through what we were going to be talking about this afternoon. And the idea of thinking of yourself as a writer is, is kind of a weird one because it feels super precious. And I already, I, it's not feeling precious is pretty much what I was put on this earth to feel. So... We interview writers every week, and everyone says the same thing. And the idea that it was something that we had to do for our livings is kind of a different thing. And one of the things that we, specifically the three of us, we this is this is our day job and our night job. This isn't just this isn't just our passion. If we stop writing, we have to go to Walmart and fill out one of those applications or whatever people. Yeah, do I mean, it's it's called mortgage, electric, cable, you know, car insurance, those things, you know. I know myself, I've always felt myself as a writer, but I also always knew that it was never something that was going to sustain me living, that I would never be able to survive as a writer. Like I couldn't put away everything and just write, that I knew I would always have to do something else in addition to writing, because the kind of writing that I always wanted to do was the kind of writing that, that, was, no one not, pays for. that was not going to be the kind of writing <laughs> that people were going to pay me, pay me for. Your day job as a writer, I mean, you don't work at I don't work anywhere yeah. else. I am in a fortunate place, but I'm not, I am in a u- unique place in my life that I get to do that. I'm reminded of a story, Michael Caine uh, in the 80s did a lot of films and some of them were not terribly good. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Most of them in the 80s were not terribly good. And he did an interview after he was nominated for an Academy Award for playing a part in one of my favorite books, uh, which was The Cider House Rules. Mm. Um, in that interview, somebody, the interview, I don't remember the interview, but somebody said, you know, 
you finally been nominated for an Academy Award. You've been acting for a long time, but you made a lot of really crappy movies in the eighties. What, what, what was that about? And he says, well, you know, and I'm not going to try the Michael Caine impersonation, but he says, well, you know, those, those crappy movies, they paid for my boat. They paid for my house. They paid for my vacation home. They put my kids through college. You know, when you're a working actor and right. just like when you're a working writer, you write whatever you need to write in order to survive. And that's what you have done. Tony. Yeah, I've that's written very some, impressive. I've, yes, but I've written some real garbage. Like, and <laughs> yeah, but you played, but you've 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 raised your family. You've you've got kids. You've you've paid your mortgage. I mean, that's impressive. You know, there's the, the, you should not knock that. Right, but and that's that's the thing that I think that I think will make this a productive conversation was is that there's i think a lot of times this misconception that you have to do art if you're going to be a writer and there are three ways to be a writer like you can be born a genius and good for you congratulations otherwise you have to be like the rest of us and punch your way through and there are two ways to punch your way through way number one is to have a day job and punch your way through at night and the other one is to have a crappy writing job and punch your way through at night. Like my day job, and I'm not I'm not ashamed of what I do. You know, I I write tourism stories for OceanCity.com, and and they're they're good and they're nice and they're about the beach and who doesn't love the beach? It's not particularly challenging. I was a newspaper reporter for a very long time, and if I could force every writer to be a newspaper reporter for six months, I totally would because if nothing else. You'll learn that sometimes it's garbage and sometimes it's great, but here comes the deadline and it's got to be 700 words. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta, the words got to come. And yeah. that's something that, you know, that I'm, that I'm happy to, that I'm happy to have learned, but also that now kind of haunts me because I think it, sometimes it can lower the bar for what you think is good. Like everything I write gets published. I don't have to worry about getting published, but then when I want to get something published, it's really hard if somebody else has to, you know, pay me for it. And uh, this is a, a good point to to give Stephanie a little bit of a little bit of kudos for her. She got something published recently that was really, really yes. incredible, very well, done. Oh, and yes. very and very heartfelt. And uh, it got picked up by Medium.com. And if you don't know, that's they're one of the few websites that have really kind of promoted long form writing in any kind of serious way. You know, and it was kind of a stab in the dark for me to even do that. It was one of those situations where I put up this post about a kidney transplant that my mom and I did. My mom was in renal failure and I gave her a kidney. And so then that was two years ago. Ever since then, people were like, you know, you really need to write about this. You should write about this. And so finally, I was like, you know what? Coming up on two years, I think I will before all the details kind of start to escape us. And I thought, you know, I never, Tony's always talking about Medium, and I never thought I was good enough. And I know a lot of people post stuff on Medium or whatever, but I, was, I don't know. I'm, I, I guess I just second guess myself a lot. And so finally, I was like, you know what? This is kind of an important one. I'll put it up. And then I got a note that said, hey, you've been posted to the Medium homepage. And I was really psyched about it. But I think for me, it was really a shot in the arm that I needed to kind of reaffirm to myself that this concept that I've had of myself as a writer is a real thing. From the time I could read and put a pencil to a piece of paper, I mean, I've always had this concept of myself as being a writer and wanting to pull these things out of my brain and put them onto paper and make them sort of real or at least more real. Maybe I'm not as terrible at it as I think I am. And it's funny how desperately we need that. It is, yeah. We want someone to say, hey, I read that. 
and I understood it. <laughs> I mean, it's not a lot to ask. I mean, we're all writing in English, right? We're none of us here are translators. Stephanie, I've talked about this recently. Um, she has a, a story that that I had written about her a hundred years ago, and she noticed that her mother still had it on the on her fridge on her refrigerator, yeah. and. It wasn't an awful story. It's just nice that, hey, somebody actually really did read it. Like, we don't, especially now, and especially for people like me who do so much online, people like things. But to get the kind of feedback from strangers, to know that you really connected, we have to be able to do that every now and again just so that it's somehow better than being a Walmart greeter. Because sometimes I feel like... (laughs) You know? Sometimes I feel like, well, you know, if you greet at Walmart after eight hours, it's over. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of value in that. Steph's piece was was remarkable. And I've heard from people who she doesn't even know who right. told me that they've read her piece and were, were really touched by it. Really? Yeah. Oh, and wow. And because uh, I posted it. I, yeah, I you linked, did. I linked to it somewhere. And so people that you don't know came to me and said, oh, that thing that you posted was really amazing. Oh, wow. So um, did you take credit for it? Oh God, no! <laughs> I mean, yes, I totally took credit for it. Sometimes you have to you have to work through a lot of stuff in order to get to a point where you can write something that's really as amazing as that. Sometimes it takes a while for you to get to a point where you can tell that story, right? And maybe right. it's a real story like yours is, or maybe it's a fiction story. You have to go through a lot of process in your own head in order to get to a place where you can write that story, the one that actually connects to people. There's certainly a, a critical mass where you're like, okay, I'm going to write about this. And then you think on it and think on it and think on it. And one of the failures that I had, and it's it's really kind of stuck with me, is that my dog almost died. Like I thought I was going to have to have my dog euthanized. And I started to write the story about it in my head. And we talked about this with an author not too long ago. I think it was Barbara Lockhart about living your life and also cataloging how you're going to tell that story later on. Yeah, yeah, that was along. Barbara. Yeah. yeah, And I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to write this up? But it's a, it's a, it's an instinct that we all do. Oh, I mean, yeah, we are all there, I mean, I was to, live there and, like... to live your life and to think about how you're going to tell that story later is, is something we all suffer through, really. I mean, yeah, like I'm sitting in the hospital and, you know, doing all the testing for the kidney transplant stuff. And I was at that very moment, I was like, I need to make sure that I try to memorize every detail of this because I'm going to write about this yeah. at some point, yeah. which then gets reaffirmed when I go to tell people the story later and they're like, oh, you know, that's a really interesting story. You should really write that down. So I've already made that conscious choice to try to memorize, like as a writer, you are one foot in, one foot out, right? So I'm in the moment, but I'm also trying to remember every single detail so that later when I go back and write about it, I've got all that data there. And then other people are like, oh, you should write that story. Then for me, what happened was I was like, and now it is time to write it because it right. felt like the right time because I felt like I also didn't want to lose the details that I've and been that's repeating. The thing, if you let it go for too long and then it gets stale and right. that's what happened with me. I'm like, oh, now I'm not going to write that. I might incorporate it in something later, but the essay that I had been constructing, I missed the window. The moment, mm. And right. it doesn't, I, do, I don't feel about it the the same way that I would need to to do the kind of story that I think it would deserve. Wow. 
timing is it is one of the constructs that we use and so I think knowing that we were approaching that two-year anniversary I was like here's my window and it's going to close because after two years it's uh, just something that happened it's just something that happened was it was it a conscious thing that you knew that if you didn't write about it now that it would it would pass yes that somehow if you didn't do it now that you wouldn't be able to write about it later absolutely and I think it kind of goes back to writers being on a deadline because I knew once March 9th 2017 passed that was our two year mark and I think what happens in that first year of a transplant it's like you don't want to say anything about it because you just want to make it to that year. Yeah, you don't want to jinx anything. You don't want to jinx it. Like, I we, I just, I didn't want to write about it in that first year because I wanted my mother to make it to the one-year mark with with Louise, the kidney, which is what we named her. And that's actually the story on a medium is life with Louise. I wanted her to make it to that one year, so I was, like, afraid to write because I didn't want to jinx it. But then I knew as we were approaching year two, I was like, this is the moment. It's interesting. You know, you talked about a pet. I mean, I, I have written, I've had two cats that have died really suddenly, and I have written about the death of my cats. And for me, I'm, I mean, it's not anywhere close to Louise. In both instances, I have read, written really, for me, were very heartfelt emotional things because I, I mean, they're pets, you know, people are very close to their pets. And in both cases, it was like, it was the next day. And I felt like I had to, I had to get the, get it out before the emotion was gone. Because mm-hmm. I knew if I waited too long, the emotion would be gone. And I would lose that spark that right, that was, yeah. that was the, the essence of whatever it was that made me feel what well, I felt. You're listening to, so what's your story? And today we're talking with fellow author, Jeff Smith. I've been thinking about Instagram a lot lately primarily because everybody it's it's become very popular to say you know people have their nose in their phones nobody can enjoy a moment everybody has to take a picture of it and it occurred to me i said when was last time before instagram that you studied the colors of a flower at length so that you could share that experience of the flower with everyone you knew and with lots of people you don't know there's this kind of notion that by documenting our lives as we go, we're somehow distracting from it. And I never understood that. And when, when we started talking about this, I'm like, oh, the reason I never understood that criticism is because I've been documenting everything as I go for my entire life. <laughs> like, I don't know what it's like to be surprised about saying, oh, there's what did it smell like? What did it taste like? What did I feel like? That is, I think one of the things that makes a person who's going to be a writer a writer this need to kind of catalog experience with Mm. the intention of sharing it with friends and strangers later on. And I don't want to be hipster about it, but now that more people can do it with Instagram and with social media generally, there's there's a negative reaction that I'll that I'll never be able to understand, which is why don't you just enjoy the moment? Well, there's nothing that says you enjoy the moment more than taking the time to document and interpret it in my head. Like I have a list of all these things that I would love to write about because they were cool and I saw them and why not share them? You know, and this idea that you should just have your life and you know, just let it pass and not document it. it. It's just a foreign idea to me. So how old were you when you realized you had that impulse to document, to be a writer? How how young were you? My first official documentary story was um, of testing day in the second grade. All, all of my life I've been doing that. And it's never been journaling. I've never had the gumption to journal. I'm too self-involved like 
Not only say it ain't so, Tony. No, no, it's true. Not only do I have to say what was happening, but I can't keep it to myself. I have to show other people. But it was just, this is what happened, and this is how I felt about it. The end. You know, and that is... <laughs> I'm no Joseph Campbell, but I don't think you need to go any deeper than that for story structure. Well, what about you, That's Jeff? Interesting. I mean, how old were you when you realized that you were a writer? Well, I didn't. So my story has always been that I wrote my first story, and this is true, when I was 14 years old on a Smith Corona typewriter that my father gave me. It was an electric typewriter, but it was his secretary's old typewriter, and he replaced it, and he gave it to me, and I wrote my first story on that. But now that you tell your story, I remember that when I was eight, maybe nine, I went to visit my grandparents. I lived in Texas. They lived in New Mexico, and they gave me my first journal. And I recorded every single day of my visit with them. I went on a motorcycle trip with my grandfather into the hills outside of Alamogordo, New Mexico. And I, I remember the details of that. And mostly I remember the details of that, of that trip because I wrote them down that night. I knew that if I didn't write them down, I was going to forget them. And to this day, I know if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it. It's and if gone. you do write it down, there's no point in taking the note. Yeah. What I've discovered is, is this this paradox. Like, I have to write this down for so I can remember it. I can lose the paper immediately <laughs> because now that I've written it down, it's stuck. <laughs> yeah. But if I say right. I'm going to remember it in the future... It doesn't matter the paper. What, right. what matters is, is the, the process of writing it down on a piece of paper. And yeah. so that would leave it to you for when you started... You're when did I know? Sure. I would have to say, I remember a moment. I was outside and it was twilight. And I remember standing in a backyard and seeing the trees. And I remember it was one of those nights where it was like red, orange, yellow, you know, sort of like this indigo color. And I remember staring at the trees, which were black, but through the trees was coming this little bit of like twilight, the sunset coming in. And I was a kid. I think I was like seven. I just vividly remember this moment standing in a backyard staring at these trees, which were now all black with this, these colors kind of coming through and above them. Like you said, I wanted to capture that moment. It was such a beautiful thing that in my head, it was like I was taking a photograph. And I wrote this poem about that twilight sunset. And I gave it to my mom. And I have no idea what I said. But I ripped off this thing and I gave it to her. And she kept it, into her, she kept it in her wallet until it was stolen. And in, a, in a supermarket one time. I believe I was seven. I was like second grade-ish. That was the moment where I realized there's this impulse within me to write down and tell other people these things that I think and feel. And I want to be able to describe this moment for someone who's not here. One of the things that I have talked about often with, with my wife is is having a reader. When I write stories, I think in my mind, not in general, what audience am I writing for? I think about a very specific person who might read my stories. And in my mind, it's my wife mm. who might read my stories. I'm curious for you, whenever you write, do you write to your mother? I do. Probably my, my immediate audience is my mother, Jackie, my sister, Kristen, and my yeah. wife, Patty. Yeah. When I was younger and writing... Those were my sister and my mom were always like the the two that I had in mind, especially when I wrote the story about the kidney transplant. That was probably where I was able to coalesce these two different parts of my life, you know, my, my married life to Patty and then, you know, my you know, the, the relationship I've had with my mother and my sister kind of coalesced. It's a beautiful part of the story about how your family came yeah, together like in that, everybody in that really, Yeah, yeah. everybody kind of gelled in that moment. So I feel like one of, the, one of the things that I really loved about the kidney transplant as well as 
the process of writing about the kidney transplant was I wanted to tell people and I wanted to explain to people how that process brought us together as a family. And for me as a writer, it was such a joy to be able to write these two different parts of my life that have, that have merged very in a, in a very real way, but to be able to write them and show them merging for a wider audience was, was really incredible. But those three women, my mom, my sister, and, and my wife are probably the three, you know, when I'm writing a story, I'm like, how would they see this? You know, you always say that Tony about Kelly, your yeah. wife, that when you're writing a story, like if she doesn't get it, you know that you've screwed up somewhere. She, she's my audience. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, always, I feel like if I'm, Patty or Kristen or my mom is going to read it and they're like, I don't get that part. That's the people that I'm trying to reach. Yeah. For me, it's the same way. I'm going to have my, my wife, my father, my brother are the, are the three people, the audience that I'm really, when I sit down to write a story, I think, are they going to understand the story? And if they don't, I have to make it so that they can understand it, even I, if it's just in my own head. And I also know that I can't use curse words because my my mother will call me out. Oh, yeah. See, that's why I don't write to my mother. <laughs> she's she's going to listen to this and she's going to know, but that's why I can't. She's well, she's not my audience because a, I, my, occasionally I do. My mother has read by curse word riddled stories before. It's something like that. <laughs> so I don't write curse word riddled stories, but every word has a purpose. Yes. And if you want to smack somebody in the face, then there are sometimes are excellent ways to do wow. it. My wife is my first reader. If you're not familiar, if you're just getting into writing, or if you haven't written before, there's a thing called a first reader. It doesn't have to be the same person all the time. But for me, my wife is the first person who sees the story. Um, I have a fictional, I, am, I have a real person who's fictional, who, who sees the story as it comes out of my head. My greatest struggle, apparently in speaking as well as apparently in writing, is clarity. And I had a philosophy professor who helped me with that. Even though she doesn't see anything I write, I hear her saying, why would you write that? That is not clear. And she helps me with clarity in the first draft. And then my wife, uh, a lot of times she'll say, well, you know, I just don't understand. And as we were saying before, I'll say, well, you're my audience. If you don't understand it, then I have to fix it. The, the responsibility is on me to make it clear. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably where all three of us lucked out is we married really well. I have a blog post that's only one third written that is entitled the, uh, the writer's guide to marrying well. <laughs> <laughs> it's so important to have someone you can impose upon read this at work <laughs> read this when you get a chance you know like all right i'll do the dishes you read the book <laughs> i've been i've been there no no just just go away I'll, i got the kids go away you know you need to go in a room if i right. give you something everything else needs to go away so you can go hide away and read the story i remember it was about Six months ago, I had written something. Um, it was the first draft of some non of some actual fiction, rather, that I was working on. And I asked my wife, just kind of off the cuff, I'm like, hey, can you take a look at this? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And she didn't say anything for the longest time. And I was so self-conscious. I'm like, oh, my God, she hates it. And she's out looking for another husband right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I had the same thought after Masabi Pioneers. I'm telling you, the exact same thought. And then after a while, I'm like, um, did you read the book? And, uh, and she's like, oh, no, no, I never got a chance to. And I'm like, okay, well, you have to tell me that because I'm, and you know, I'm like an obnoxious dude and people don't usually think of me as someone who gets really self-conscious. 
But when you give yourself wife, when you give your wife something to read and she doesn't read it for a couple of weeks, or she said to her, she's like, you know what? I haven't seen your fiction, and I didn't want to hate it, so I was scared to read it. <laughs> it worked out fine. She didn't hate it. The point is that there's this there's this vulnerability, and I guess that's why it's important to find the right person to read your stuff because you're being very vulnerable the first time out with something that you care about, and you have to give it to someone who has the courage to tell you if it's garbage and the delicacy to not use the word garbage. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we're talking with fellow author Jeff Smith. It's got to be painful to be married to a writer. I mean, it's got to be difficult or weird or it's got to be... A chore in some ways to be married to a writer. It's a chore to be married to me just in general. Well, I I mean, I'm sure of that. (laughs) You're unique. (laughs) But I remember when we were going to write our wedding vows, and I was all psyched to write my wedding vows. And and poor Patty was like, she was really... Genuinely, yeah. She was genuinely nervous, unhappy, not looking forward to the vow. She's like, how do you write a wedding vow to a writer? And and the poor thing got herself so worked up, and I was like, I d- as long as you're saying like from the heart, just talk from the heart and tell me on our wedding day what you think. And all of a sudden, she was like, "But you're a writer. I can't write wedding vows that are going to be as good as yours." And I was like, "Well, that's not even the point." So I don't know. It's just kind of one of those moments where I was like, "Man, like being married to a writer is either a challenge or a headache, or it's got to be a yeah." It's insufferable. It's it's also easy to forget, again, when you're doing it every day, it's easy to forget how hard it is to not do it every day. You know, one of the things that I tell my daughters all the time about reading, um, but also it works for writing, is that no one gets up and runs a marathon. Like tomorrow, I mean, tomorrow you could run a marathon, yeah, smarty Jeff No, but it took, me a while. it took me a while to get there. But the idea is that it's something you can't do it on command you have to practice at it until you get to the point where you can do it so yes if someone asked me to write wedding vows i could do it but it's not because i started writing today it's because i've been writing as a matter of practice your whole life yeah Yeah. and, and 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 Seriously, for the last almost 20 years, I've been every day having to crank something out. I was talking to my daughter about this the other day because she's working on something and she's worried about how it's going to look. She's like, I don't know. And I'm like, you know what? I read I, I read a papers from college that I recognize immediately as absolute garbage. I'm like, oh, you know what? I wish I should. That was a good essay. I'm going to resurrect it. And I look at it and I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe they didn't take me out and shoot me after I handed this in. This is absolute trash. But for a kid in college, it wasn't absolute trash. For a, for a grown writer person, yeah, no, it was absolute trash. And that's that's a difference that comes with doing it every day and getting better at it yeah. and better at it. This is where we're writers and not college professors. <laughs> I, was I, was, I was a teacher's assistant for one, um, for one semester, and uh, none of my actual grades got seen by I, I got to the point where the professor was like you know what just just write it in pencil <laughs> <laughs> save me having to cross out your d and put a b plus you know what else looks good in pencil 
Oh, Tony's limericks. So if you want a limerick from Tony or if you want a haiku from me, just go to the So What's Your Story podcast.com website and there's a contact us form. If you go there and you click on that, you can put your name, your email, and pick a word. Tony will make it into a limerick. I will make it into a haiku. We'll put it on a postcard, slap a stamp on it, and put it in the mail. Make sure you pick the word, because when Stephanie picks a word, it's not very good. Yeah, I pick words like yeast and Budweiser straight out of Tony's book. So, yeah, if you want a good word, pick it yourself. And uh, if you do that, we'll, like I said, we'll put it on a postcard, put a stamp on it, and uh, we'll pay some guy to bring it to your house. And it might come on a pony. You never know. But, the the uh, old-fashioned way. The old-timey way. And now this is where you thank the guest. So I'm going to throw it right back. And thank you very much, Jeff, for, for coming back and talking writing stuff with us. Uh, thanks for having me, Stephanie. Thanks, Tony. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media and in the book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, then feel a group. And if you like it, then feel free to give us a great review. Tell your story.